the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Hello, hello. Welcome to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. My name is Seth Vertelny, and joining me is Amy Ruskai, Goal's women's soccer correspondent. Amy, we just saw a pretty crazy game that ended up with the U.S. advancing. How are you doing today? And were you able to follow that game and all of the other chaos that was going on at the same time at the Olympics? Just about. I mean, the slight, slight bit more sleep than you had probably helped. But yeah, it was it was one of those days where you just needed like six pairs of eyes to watch everything that was happening at once. But just about kept up. Yeah, not not a huge fan of the way that these games have all been scheduled to start 30 minutes apart from each other. It's been pretty impossible to follow everything that was going on at once. But certainly we both followed the U.S. and Netherlands quarterfinal pretty closely. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty epic game in the end. The U.S. goes down against the run of play early through Vivian Miedema, who looked like the greatest striker of all time today, basically. Um, she's a a brilliant player and just kind of underline that. And the U.S. really struck back uh, after going down a goal, scoring two quick goals to to take the lead two to one. Second half, Miedema scores her second of the game and 10th of the Olympics in four games. Pretty good for a striker. From there, the game kind of descended into a, a bit of a slog. The teams both looked pretty tired physically and mentally. Ends up going to... Penalties where the U.S. prevails 4-2. to two. Alyssa Nair was the hero, saving two spot kicks. Also, I didn't mention she saved a penalty near the end of regulation, too, which uh, could have sent the U.S. out. So Nair kind of underlining her hero status. So the U.S. advances to face Canada. Wasn't a vintage performance, but didn't need to be. And, and certainly it was improved after the group stage. Amy, what, what were your thoughts um, overall on how the U.S. looked today? I think that some of the players stepped up and like delivered that you would have expected in the in the group stages. You were waiting for certain players to step up and deliver. Lynn Williams obviously had a fantastic game and proved why she should have had more f- games so far. Sam Mewis, not to toot my own horn here, but last episode I did say that Sam Mewis had what it take to step up and Sam Mewis got a goal and assist today, so feeling pretty good about myself with that. I think we saw a, a lot more quality, even though there were still the lingering mistakes and concerns in some departments. Let's start with some of the decisions that Vlaco made in his starting 11. Uh, You mentioned Williams, which was a big call that he was completely vindicated on. You know, she had only played 15 minutes in the first three games combined. So to see her get the start in a do or die game was was definitely eye-opening. But she had a a cross for Mewis's opening goal, and then a couple minutes later, she scored herself. But also in the back line, we talked about this in the last episode, whether Abby Dahlkemper would get her place back, and she did. And it was surprising to see Tierna Davidson not only not start, but not get a place in the 18. Other interesting calls in the starting lineup was uh, Carly Lloyd getting the start up top, Rose Lavelle, not getting a start in midfield uh, after she had started the first three games, as well as as Tobin Heath getting the start over Megan Rapino. Amy, what did you make of of Vlatko's uh, starting lineup, and, and how do you think it kind of played out on the field for the U.S. as the game went on? I think that Lavelle not in the eleven was sort of like the headline, but 
she played the first three games, like you said, probably made sense for her to have a rest and she could come off the bench. Obviously scored a great penalty in the shootout. I was really happy to see Lynn Williams play because I think she's deserved to play. I thought she deserved to be in the 18 originally before it got expanded to 22. And I thought she showed everybody should like or why she should play and why she should you know, be getting more of a chance in this team at this major tournament. I thought she was fantastic. And I don't think Lloyd did much. I don't think Morgan did much though either. I don't think... I was having this conversation with somebody earlier. This tournament has been sort of... There is so much space on the wing. There's so many teams defending so narrow and it feels like it's really a tournament for wingers. So it feels like it's that kind of tournament. So I don't know if that impacts sort of how much of an impact the the centre-forwards have been having. But I think the way it played out, Dow Kemper didn't have a great game again, but it didn't cost the game. So I think... Yeah, like you say, he was sort of vindicated in in what he did today. Yeah, a word about Lynn Williams, because I I do think she deserves a bit more talk uh, after this performance. She narrowly missed out on the 2019 World Cup roster, and then she appeared to have narrowly missed out on this roster again when she was named as an alternate. But after that rule change allowed alternates to be part of the game day roster, she was given kind of a glimmer of hope of playing, she really wasn't involved very much in, in the first three games. And and so to see her get this chance today, I, I think that part of the reason she was in the starting lineup was due to her ability to press. The U.S., as we've mentioned, hasn't really been doing a whole lot of high pressing in this tournament, which gives them so much more opportunities to create attacking chances by causing turnovers high up the field. And so Williams is a really, really good presser. And I think that's part of the reason she was in, but she showed what she could do in an attacking sense as well. And to, to see her perform the way she did when, when given a chance just speaks so highly to her mentality. And it really made Vlatko look like, kind of a Nostradamus for just tossing her in there in a surprise move and and seeing his decision completely vindicated. Yeah, and I think sometimes that Williams can get a bit stick because she's not as clinical as maybe some strikers, but I think what you always get with Williams, you always get energy. You always get somebody who's going to cause problems for the defence, somebody who's going to create and somebody who's going to cause havoc, whether that creates an opportunity for her to score or for somebody else to capitalise on the space left and score. You always know that Lynn Williams is going to give you a really good game and she's going to cause problems and ask questions of the defence. And she did that today. She was brilliant. Yeah, I think that first half performance for the US was the best that we've seen them look this tournament so far. You know, they came out on the front foot and they were really actually pressing and they were controlling the game and creating chances. And then they kind of get hit with that Miedema goal, which was completely against the run of play. Against Sweden, we saw them concede a goal in the first half and they didn't really seem to know how to react to it. And Sweden just kept on attacking and they ended up scoring two more. Well, today couldn't have been much more different because the U S got scored on and immediately just kept on pressing and and kept on attacking. And they ended up getting not one, but two goals right after that. And and their performance certainly deserved that. It, It sort of looked like at halftime when they were up two to one, that they would be able to move on and, and, and cruise in the second half. But instead, they sort of get hit back again by Miedema. Um, We could talk about Alyssa Nair on that that second goal for Miedema. I think she probably could have done better, but clearly uh, you know, Nair made up for it a, a little bit later. 
But then from there, the game kind of turns into a little bit of a battle of attrition just because these teams are are showing their tired legs. The U.S. kind of felt like they were almost fortunate to get to penalties. But Amy, what did you make of, of the U.S.'s response in the first half to Miedema's goal and, and how they move forward from that point? I think when it gets knockouts, you know that you don't really have a second chance. Maybe in the group stages when when they lose the first game, it's like, this is this is a really forgiving tournament and three teams can get out of a group. Not that the US would be like, oh, it doesn't matter, we've lost the first game, you know, we don't care, we've got two more. But in a knockout, you are in a race against time if you are, if you concede, you know, you have to, you've got no other choice but to go back at them because otherwise you're out. And I think that that sort of high risk, that high stakes games, the US are so experienced in high stakes games and it was a bit like what Alex Morgan was saying the other day, like now the tournament starts and, you know, you could see that sort of in the US's mind that, yeah, you know, we actually need to turn it on here. Yeah, definitely. Let's take our first break. And when we come back, we will discuss a little bit more of the second half and the penalty shootout here on All of Us. All of Us, the U.S. women's soccer show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. women's national team and the NWSL on Goal. All of Us, the U.S. women's soccer show from Goal. Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on Goal. All right, welcome back to All of Us. The U.S. women's national team advances to the Olympic semifinals with a penalty shootout win over the Netherlands. I want to dive into this game a little bit more. In the second half, the U.S. appeared to be on the front foot, and then there was... An interesting moment, 57 minutes in, Vlatko decides to make a triple sub. At the time, it didn't seem like the game really warranted the U.S. making that kind of a change because typically when a coach makes a triple sub, his team's on the ropes and they're in desperate need of some kind of a change. And it didn't really seem like the U.S. was in a situation where they needed a, a major overhaul, uh, particularly bringing Williams off at that point was, was questionable because she had such a good first half and hadn't really done much wrong in the second half either. After that point, I think the Dutch were able to kind of gain a little bit more momentum. Part of the reason is the Dutch made a sub of their own, bringing in Bernstein and having Bernstein on the right going after Crystal Dunn, when the U.S. had introduced Megan Rapino on that side, uh, I think really worked in the, the Netherlands' advantage because Rapino famously doesn't really play a whole lot of defense. And, and having Berenstein isolated one-on-one against Dunn was a good matchup for the Netherlands. And it, it felt like the momentum really changed. And of course, the U.S. ended up advancing anyway, so maybe it's a, a decision that will get a little bit less scrutiny. But Amy, you know, what did you make of that call and how that changed the game? Yeah, I think space started to open up a lot more on the right when she came on. I think um, there was times as well where she sort of got in behind them when the ball was in the middle and, you know, the midfielders were looking for that little ball in behind. There was one point where they slipped the ball in behind Dunn and Berenstein was looking to cut it back to Miedemar, but somebody got in the way and, and blocked it for a corner and it just seemed to be such a threat and Dunn had been targeted in a few other games before this and they went for that again to try and 
get back into the game or, or win the game. So definitely felt reminiscent of the group stages where people were, were targeting Crystal Dunn at that point. Yeah, and from that point, the Netherlands, I think, had the upper hand. And then with 10 minutes to play, they get a penalty. And, and it looks like the U.S. might be going out for a second straight tournament at the quarterfinal stage. Kelly O'Hara, with a really unnecessary challenge, uh, just kind of bowls over the Netherlands player. And it's just such a clear penalty. And you have to kind of wonder if it's just tired legs, tired minds with with O'Hara there because it was just such a clear penalty. But just like she did two years ago in the semifinal against England, Alyssa Nair comes up with a huge penalty stop. I think we were a little bit surprised to see Lika Martins take that penalty as opposed to Vivian Miedema. But uh, of course, Miedema in the, the shootout later had her penalty saved. So maybe that sort of vindicated Serena Weigman a little bit, giving Martins the the spot kick. But, you know, how big was that for the U.S. Nair making that save with 10 minutes left? Yeah, and I think it will have been big for her because that second goal that Miedema scored, you know, Nair should have been doing a lot better with that, realistically, the one that made it 2-2. So... There must have been like quite a confidence boost and in the way that the game actually progressed in going to penalties, knowing that you saved a penalty in the game, I mean, that must be massive for a goalkeeper to believe that you can save a couple more and help your team through. So I think if that goes in, I'd, I'm not sure the US come back because they were looking very leggy and yeah, it was it was absolutely massive. Yeah, in, in extra time, Nair again comes up with a big save on Miedema from a header and it's clear that she, she got a real boost from that penalty save on Martins. Other than that, it didn't seem like there were many good goal-scoring opportunities, and the game kind of seemed destined for penalties, kind of one of those classic late tournament games where both teams are tired, both teams are just looking not to give up a goal in extra time. And then penalties. Nair comes up huge again, you know, as mentioned. Miedema steps up to take the first penalty for the Dutch, and you're like, Every time she's gotten the ball this game, she's looked like she's going to score. So, of course, if she gets an opportunity from 12 yards out from the spot, there's no way she's going to miss it. And yet, she did. It was a great save by Nair. You never expect to see Miedema miss from that point. And I think from there, the U.S. just had all the momentum in the shootout. Nair makes another big save later. Also, I want to spotlight Rapino's penalty to, to clinch the game because Rapino hadn't really done much after coming on as a sub, but she steps up from the spot with all the confidence in the world, just buries it into the top corner, and then, of course, does the Mbappe celebration, uh, kind of showing her swagger, her confidence. Amy, you know, were you surprised by how things unfolded in the in the penalty shootout? Yeah, I think when you see Vivian Miedemar step up to take a penalty, you were thinking, oh, she's going to score, and she doesn't actually take penalties, which is quite interesting because, like I say, we had this sort of debate where Martin stepped up to take the penalty in normal time. It was like, oh, I'm surprised Miedemar's not taking it. She's on the hat trick and she's full of confidence, but she doesn't take them. You know, she's never scored a penalty for the Netherlands. She's got 100 caps for the Netherlands, 83 goals, and none of them are penalties. So it kind of goes against the grain of when you see a player, you know, sent half step up and take a penalty, and you go, you know, why is the striker not taking it? It's not always the, the obvious answer. I think from there, once you see an alien of a, of a footballer miss the first penalty, the US kind of gets that boost. The boost that Nair must have had from saving goes into the other pens. They've been in situations like that endless amount of times. They know what it takes to get through them. And 
Penal's penalty was one of the best we've seen at this tournament. We've seen some ball penalties, to be fair. But I just wanted to mention about Minamar as well. Just obviously knocked out of the tournament now, but the tournament she's had has been so amazing. And I think that she gets a lot of stick sometimes here in England because, you know, she might score six goals against like a Bristol City or something. She'll get called a stat padder and a flat track bully and all that sort of nonsense. But realistically, I mean, she's done it again where she's banished that myth of only scores goals against small teams. She's been unbelievable all tournament, you know, to score two goals. The first goal today against the US was amazing. Yeah, she's just an absolutely unbelievable player. New record for most goals scored in one Olympic tournament. Smashed Sinclair's record of six by scoring ten in four games. She's one of the best players in the world and will go down as one of the best players ever. She had a great tournament and, yeah, it's sad to see her be knocked out because she's been so good. Yeah, it's pretty rare when you're watching the, the US when you say that clearly the best player on the field is on the other team. Every time Minima got the ball, it seemed like she was going to score. She was such a threat. And it, it wasn't just her goal scoring, too. It was her build-up play. She involved her teammates so well. She's just really a complete striker. And yeah, like you said, it is it is a shame to see her go out and, and not get a chance in the medal round because she, for me, has been the player of the tournament so far. And, and you would have liked to see her go a little bit farther but the Netherlands are out. The U.S. are moving on. And when we come back on all of us, we will look ahead to the semifinals and the U.S.'s matchup against Canada. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. women's national team and the NWSL on goal. Welcome back to all of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. Let's move on and look ahead to the semifinal against CONCACAF rivals Canada. Canada has had sort of an indifferent tournament so far, even though they have advanced to the, the last four. They've had four games. They have only won one of them in regulation. That was a 2-1 win over Chile. They advanced past Brazil in the quarterfinal today after a 0-0 tie through 120 minutes. They, they win on penalty kicks. When you look at the four teams that are left in this tournament, three of which came from the U.S.'s group in the U.S., Sweden, and Australia, it does appear that Canada is the weakest of the four teams not that they aren't dangerous still, not that they can't pose real problems for the U.S., but Amy, you know, what have you made so far of Canada in this tournament and, you know, what kind of challenges do they pose to the U.S.? I feel watching Canada this tournament is how I feel every time I watch Canada. You look at the team and you're like, oh, look at all these great players that they've got. They've got so much talent. They've got so much threat. They've got a great defence. And then you watch them and you're waiting for it to come together and spark to life and it just kind of doesn't. Now that I have said that, obviously they're going to come out in the semi-final and score four goals or something, but they're just sort of, you're sort of waiting for that, that spark. You can't really put your finger on what it is and what's the problem and what you're waiting for to sort of happen. I don't think they're as clinical as you'd like a team to be if they're trying to win a gold medal or a silver medal or, you know, but they do have the players to cause problems. I mean, Sinclair, Christine Sinclair is the all-time top goal scorer ever. With her role, she drops off from the centre-halves and finds the spaces and the pockets and it creates the space in behind for Janine Becky or 
the shell prints or something, which is a little bit how Miedemar plays to create the space rubbers. So that is a problem, especially with the way the US are defending. And, you know, you can see maybe Dalkemper or, or Sauerbrunn getting dragged deep and somebody running in behind. But there's not a great deal of creativity in this team. You don't guarantee that they're going to create 10 chances or something in a game. Defensively, they are pretty strong. It'd be interesting to see how they sort of come together in, in this semi-final and maybe it'll be a, another 4-3 extra time, 123rd minute winner like it was in 2012. Yeah, you mentioned that they have struggled to score goals. The U.S.'s last game against Canada came back in February at She Believes Cup and that was pretty much the story of the game. Canada actually looked pretty good. They pushed the U.S. throughout the game but they just couldn't score and they had chances to do so. The U.S. ended up winning 1-0, but after that game, you said, you know, this Canada team, they might have something. Uh, it was their first game under their new coach, Bev Priestman, who seems to be a, a pretty good coach. And you just said, this Canada team might be able to be dangerous if they can just learn how to finish a little better. And I think that's been the story of their Olympics so far as well. You know, for the U.S., I, I think that, they're definitely going to have a psychological advantage in this matchup. Despite Canada being clearly the second best team in CONCACAF for a long time, they just have not been able to get over the hump and, and beat the U.S. The U.S. has lost to Canada only three times in 61 total games. And crucially, they have not lost in 20 years. The last time that Canada beat the U.S. was in 2001. Amy, you mentioned there was a, a pretty epic Olympic semifinal in London that we all remember. Actually, it was in Manchester from 2012, but also there was the, the She Believes Cup game. The U.S. beat Canada 3-0 in, in 2020 as well. You just wonder what exactly it's going to take for Canada to get over this hump. Maybe they will be boosted a little bit by seeing how the U.S. has played in this tournament. You know, they still have yet to put together a full dominant 90 minutes. But if you're Canada and you're looking at this U.S. team, how do you think they are going to look to attack them? I think it is in Sinclair dropping off from the centre-backs and sort of dragging them out because there isn't a lot of defensive organisation, really. You saw it with um, Miedemar's second goal today, the way that she sort of dragged Dalkemper out. And when a player drops off like that, you've got to make sure that you have all the communication and the sort of organisation to pass the player on, pass the player on. And I think that Sinclair sort of picking up the pockets of space and the players running in behind, maybe those midfield runners and stuff like that, I think that's going to be the crucial thing. But I do think that Canada have got a really sturdy defence. I think that Vanessa Gilles and Kanisha Buchanan have had good tournaments and they look strong and they are really talented defenders. They're great at making last-ditch blocks and tackles and threats from set-pieces as well. I mean, Gilles hit the bar today, so they do have that sort of defensive strength. And like you say, it's just that sort of psychological thing of this group's never beaten them, not being for 20 years as a team, but like they haven't beaten them. And I think the way that they're going to have to look at it is this is probably the weakest the US have looked and this is maybe our best shot of beating them because they haven't looked very convincing in the tournament and there are obvious weaknesses where we can get at them. Canada advanced to this game against the US by defeating Brazil in penalties. So a word for Brazil, 
this could be the end of an era. You know, I think we've said this at previous tournaments when they've been eliminated and you said, okay, is that it for Marta? Is that it for Formiga? You know, you never want to say that it's definitely over for Formiga because every two or four years, she just keeps coming back and playing over and over again in every tournament. Same for Marta, but you know, is this the end of an era? Is it, is it finally time for Brazil to, to turn the page and, and look for, a new generation after this current generation has come close, but has failed to win a major tournament. I think it is. And I think especially with the sort of two year gap, I don't think you can cling on to what a 46 year old, 45 year old Famiga and you know, Marta will be, I think she's 35 now. So, I mean, it's not impossible that Marta will be at the world cup. I don't think it's a bad thing that Marta would be at the World Cup. For so many of the players coming through now, like, she is their idol. And, you know, for so many players everywhere she is. But she has so much experience to give, and obviously she's still so good. But I think it is going to start to be that sort of transition from the old guard and the changing of the generation. And they've got some good young players coming through. You know, maybe some of the frustration in Brazil is that this was quite an old team that came to the Olympics, and it might have been more of a chance to give some of the younger players some major tournament experience before the World Cup. They might have gone into these Olympics thinking, no, we're really going to win a medal here, and that's why they did that. But it is sad. I mean, you know, that generation of players now, Marta, Famiga, but also like Cristiane and Rosanna and Pratina and people before them, probably go down as the greatest international team in women's football, never to win a world title, never an Olympic gold or a World Cup. And part of that is the federation funding, which makes it more sad because... What a generation of players and what an incredible thing that Formiga's just played at a 7th Olympics at 43, started every game and, and looked really good as well. As a neutral, you kind of want, you'd love to see Formiga with a gold medal or even a bronze medal around the neck. So especially the way they went out on penalties, which is such a heartbreaking way to do it. Yeah, in the Olympics, losing at the quarterfinal stage is the worst. It's unlike the World Cup because the World Cup is just basically about winning the tournament. But at the Olympics, there's that bronze medal, which looms as a, as a big goal as well. So to lose at the quarterfinal stage and, and not get a chance to play for a medal is, is pretty heartbreaking. Let's talk about the other two quarterfinals. Um, Australia gets by Team GB despite an Ellen White hat trick uh, in a 4-3 to three win. Sweden gets past Japan 3-1. to one. Um, That was the result that we definitely expected. Um, but now, as mentioned, three of the four teams remaining came from Group G, the U.S.'s group. Um, Australia and Sweden in the other semifinal will be a, a rematch of a group stage game that Sweden won. Looking back, now that we have seen the success that Australia and Sweden have had in the knockout phase, does it change the way that you look at the U.S.'s group performance in any way? I think a little bit. You know, it's so much easier to say things with hindsight. But I think it's a mix because you know that the US can be so much better than they were. It's not just that these teams were good. It was that the US needed to be better. It was like the obvious. It wasn't like Australia and, and Sweden were sort of carving them apart with, well, I mean, Sweden were, but like putting together these, you know, Pep Guardiola, Barcelona style moves that they had nothing to do. It was, you know, the US had so many ways that they could improve and be better in those games. Um, I think it's just sort of a testament to to how good Sweden and Australia have been. I know Australia sort of slipped down the rankings because they've not played much football. and um, Yeah, I think it is sort of a testament to how good they, they have been. But 
yeah, possibly a little bit of an underestimation um, of how good they were in, in some aspects as well. Yeah, we, we entered this tournament thinking that the U.S. and Sweden were two of the main favorites, and, and now we are just two games away from the U.S. and Sweden meeting in the gold medal match to end the tournament after they faced each other to start the tournament, um, and that would be a pretty epic and symmetrical way for this tournament to end. But before that, of course, we have two semifinals on Monday, Australia, Sweden, U.S. and Canada, and the U.S. has a major task on their hands to get past this Canadian team. And we will talk about that a little bit more on the next episode. So we'll call it quits there. Uh, once again, thank you very much for listening to all of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. Thank you, Amy. And we will see you after the semifinal against Canada. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.